continuing with uh, the series in the book of Colossians that uh, Pastor Andrew started last week. Uh, really, the, the goal is celebrating our Savior's sovereign supremacy. <laughs> so we, we're trying to follow Pastor Andrew's footsteps. And so really, the, the, the heart of the message is to put Jesus Christ back in the center where he belongs. It is to bring Jesus back in the center of our hearts, in the center of our lives, that whatever we do is about Jesus. And so the book of Colossians, which Pastor Andrew introduced last week, really is a letter that Paul is writing to this church that he didn't plant. Somebody else planted who um, had come, as Pastor Andrew said last week, to hear the message from Paul and then decided to go back home and started a church. But today I want to take a different angle. So I want to start with a bit of a teaching or introduction mode by asking a few questions. Let me get my remote right. So the first question I would love to answer is who was Paul? Because Pastor Andrew gave us a bit of a background of what the church looked like, what the problems at the church were, and why it necessitated that Paul should write to them. But I want to look at the man himself, Paul. Who was Paul at this time when he was writing this letter? Now, Paul, when you read the scripture, Paul was a man who was brought up under strict Jewish rules. In fact, he calls himself as the chief uh, uh, sinner. He was killing people in masses who claimed that Jesus Christ was, was God. The people that said, hey, salvation doesn't come from observing the law but salvation comes by believing in Jesus Christ and Paul's mission was to destroy anybody who claimed that to be the truth and so he was very committed in fact it goes in in great length to explain how he was brought up under the Jewish he was a Pharisee himself as somebody who understood the law somebody who believed and was committed to the law but at this time when he's writing he had had an encounter with Jesus he had, he had met Jesus on his way to Damascus when he was going to still kill more people. And so his life had already been impacted by the fact that he had had a relationship with Jesus. And so this is a man who was changed not only by a theological understanding of Jesus, but by an experiential understanding of Jesus. And so he's no longer just putting forward a theological argument to try and convince people that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's trying to say to the people that the reason why I know he's Lord beyond the theological debate is that he's changed my life. And so he's writing this to the people. And so this is the man, Paul, whose life was changed already. Now, the second question I'm going to ask, and then I'm going to dive into the message <laughs> which I believe is my message, is this question. So where was Paul? So we understand that Paul was a, a man who was committed to Judaism, but had had his life changed. Where was he? Thank you, Pastor Carol. Where was Paul at this time? Now, biblical history says that Paul at this time was either under house arrest or in prison. And so he had been arrested because Paul kept preaching this message of Jesus Christ being the supreme one. That Jesus Christ is above everyone and everything. That salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. That 
however much you try to obey the law, that would not lead you to God. And so you need to put your faith in Jesus. And so Paul was arrested for that reason. What is so intriguing is that Paul, although he was arrested at this time, he's writing to encourage a church over the issue that he's been arrested for. He's been arrested because he's propagating this message of Jesus Christ. And now there's a church that needs this message to understand that, hey guys, put back Jesus where he belongs. And I think sometimes, sometimes the greatest stories are born out of some deep times of pain. And sometimes when, when maybe in your marriage you're experiencing man, this so much pain and so much thing and God causes you to have such wisdom, such that when you get out of that place, marriages are healed because of your counsel. Or maybe it's a, it's a job situation that's so hard and, and, and you've been in there and out of that is birthed such wisdom and grace and the ability to not only just do well, but get others to do well too. And so Paul is writing to encourage this church out of his pain, out of his trouble. In fact, we can even hear the chains, you know, ringing as he's writing this letter. Because the Roman soldiers are just around him because they're afraid he might run away or something. But he says, yet even in the midst of that, I'll choose to encourage this church so that they'll put Jesus Christ back where he belongs. And that is our message. Today. The third question is why did Paul write this later? As I was saying earlier on, was to put Jesus Christ back where he belongs. I want to give us a little bit of a theological understanding. And I know that uh, some of us are new Christians. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. And the message of Jesus Christ is critical today just as much as it was critical then. Sometimes we, are, we hear of Jesus, and the question that, that I think we should be posing is, why should Jesus be at the center? Why is Jesus the supreme one? Because when you look at the Jewish people, they had so much reverence for the likes of Moses, the likes of Abraham. But why is Jesus so important, in fact, more important than Abraham? And so that's the background that I want to give us today now the children of israel were in egypt for 430 years they had lost their way they didn't know how to relate to god they didn't know how to have this relationship with god because they were now exposed to the egyptian way of doing things they had lost their worship in god and at this time god remembered them and God wanted to restore that relationship that he once had with the people of Israel. And so we understand in the book of Exodus how God did all these wonders and miracles to be able to get people out of Egypt so that they can start to worship him. But they couldn't start worshiping him until they learned how to relate to him. Because you can't worship God unless you know how to relate to God. Because worshiping God involved, you know, calling Him names, uh, giving Him adoration. And you cannot do that unless you knew Him. And unless you knew how to relate to Him. And so God gives them the book of Leviticus on how to relate to Him. And I'll pick up this. This is Leviticus 16 from verse 15 to 16. 
Now, this is an instruction of how the people of God will be relating to God. Then he shall kill the goat of sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as it did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now God is giving an instruction to the high priest or the priest who were in charge of helping people relate to God. And this was the practice in the Old Testament. Every year the high priest would, each family rather, would bring an animal to the high priest. Then the high priest would lay his hands on an animal. For instance, your family as Sam, the Robertsons, would bring an animal representing their household. And the high priest would lay his hands on that animal and speak all the sins that Sam and Alan and whoever belongs in that household would have committed that year. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. And so the high priest would speak the, and confess those things on that animal. And then what they would do is they would kill that animal and they would take the blood of the animal and the high priest would take that blood of the animal into the Holy of Holies. All right? And there he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Now you hear all these words. I got pictures so that I could show you where the Holy of Holies was. This looked like the tabernacle, the picture there at the back. That was the form of the tabernacle, the place where everything happened. In the outer court, that where, where everybody can see, that, that's where they brought their animals and that's where the animals were slaughtered. And then inside there were two rooms. The first room every Levite or the priest could get into. But there was one second room where only the high priest was allowed to go. And in that chamber there was this thing here which is called the Ark of the Covenant. And so the high priest would get into that place and take the blood of the goat and sprinkle it between the two angels who are touching wings like this. And that between that place was called the mercy seat. And so this was the practice every year to atone for the sins of the people. And so every year your family would bring a goat and they would kill it and those innocent animals would die to represent you and be used as a substitute for each household. And it had to be done every year because the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to redeem mankind from sin, but it could atone for their sins, which means it could cover for their sins only for a period of a year. And so they had to do that every single year. You bring animals and they do that. And that was the practice in the Old Testament. And so John, bringing us back to Jesus, John chapter 1 verse 29, John sees Jesus coming. And he declares this, he says, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, just as we have been doing and killing lambs and goats every year, this is the man who is going to be the substitute and who is going to take away the sin of the world. This time it's going to be different. It's not going to be a covering for a year. He is taking away the sin of the world. 
And so he introduces Jesus and his ministry. And so then we understand Jesus lives, he grows at 30, he started his public ministry. Now, he has to die to represent a substitute for your sin and my sin. In order for the practice of the Old Testament to be abolished, somebody had to die. Now, in the Old Testament, it was required that the animal that would be killed must be so properly examined. They should have no wrinkles, no fault, no blemish. They should be perfect. But there was no perfect human being who could have been used as a substitute for your sin and my sin. It had to be a divine intervention for somebody who does not belong to the human race to be able to save you and me. And Jesus came. At 30, he started his public ministry. And then they arrested him. They arrested him because he claimed to be God and he said, that I am the way and I am the truth and the life. That unless you come through me, you cannot get to the Father. And they said, you are a blasphemer. You are blaspheming God. He got arrested. Not knowing that this was a prophetic way of taking Jesus to his fulfillment of the promise that was already given in the Old Testament. That he would be the propitiation for our sins. And so they take him to the cross. And they killed him at the cross. Or they, the, sorry, he died uh, in the process after the cross. And this is where he ushered a new dispensation. I want to open this bracket. Jesus died in the same week, which was the week where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood. And so he died in the same week. The Bible says at the cross, when he declared that it is finished, the curtains of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now imagine this is exactly what was happening. No normal human being was allowed to see in the Holy of Holies, which was the second chamber, in the room. No ordinary Israelite had ever even seen there. Because even to clean, you had to be a Levite to clean in there. And so the temple was constructed and built this way. And there was a room where the high priest only could go. And there was this thick curtain that covered uh, the people or separated the people from the high priest. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn. Now picture this. The high priest is there busy sprinkling the blood. Now everybody's watching for the first time what's happening in there. Jesus has already redeemed us from this law, but they keep practicing the law not knowing that the actual real lamb is Jesus Christ. And so, I believe is the beginning of religion that you are leaving the Jesus who's the real lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world and you continue with the rituals and the practices of the Old Testament. And I believe this is happening today. We are having 
innocent animals that are being killed for things that they shouldn't be killed for because Jesus has died for us. I have Christians and people who come to us and some friends who claim to be Christians and when, when the, a baby is born and they, there is a practice in the family that they have to kill an animal, and I'm like, no, but Jesus has already been killed for your child. You don't need another animal to give me that chicken. Huh? We need to eat it for lunch. Don't do that. <laughs> because Christ has already died for us. And so it takes us back to our book, and this is what Paul is saying to the church in Colossae. He wants them to understand this reality. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, sorry, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all our sins. How many? How many is all? Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for introducing all, all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What did Jesus do? The Bible says you were dead in your sins. And God made you alive in Christ Jesus. Where? At the cross. He says, these are the things that you received at the cross. He said, at the cross, you were made alive. At the cross, everything that stood against your life. Nobody condones killing and murders. But whether you had killed someone, the Bible says that Jesus Christ canceled even that sin. That there is no sin that is big enough that Jesus Christ has not canceled on the cross. He said he forgave us all our sins. If all means all, then there is no sin that Jesus has not forgiven. Including the sin that you still don't want to confess and that's what, what, which you rather don't want to talk about. Jesus has forgiven you for it. And he said he has disarmed principalities when I hear Christians talk about somebody cursed me or somebody spoke something against me and my life is today because my aunt or that witch or that this the Bible says at the cross Jesus disarmed principalities there is no witch, there is no witch doctor, there is no one who has power over someone who belongs to Christ Jesus. Because at the cross, at the cross, he disarmed the principalities and powers. In fact, he shamed them. Have you ever seen somebody who's ashamed? Imagine all the devil and the demons being ashamed. That is what Jesus did to them at the cross. He disarmed. Paul continues to say this in another letter that he wrote. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, 5 to 11, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, what is therefore the death of the cross? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When did Jesus become supreme? When he fulfilled his mandate at the cross. Because then the Father gave him a name that is above every other name. Not just on earth. Every place, the Bible says, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Let me say this, family. When you are in Jesus, when you are in Jesus, there is no curse that can alight over your life. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 3 that he has become a curse for us so that we can become the righteousness of God because of the cross. And so if it's a practice for you to try in your own strength to earn your way to God, I've got news for you. You can't make it. You can't make Maybe try, but you can't make it. Jesus has made a way for you. And so Paul is saying this message to the church in Colossae because he wants them to understand that you don't have to work too hard to get back to God. You just have to have faith in the work that Jesus Christ has done for you. And then you're going to get back to God. I want to say this. Sometimes a theological explanation doesn't always make that reality in our lives. And so I thought I would share some, some testimonies of these two amazing people. Jack, he was here last week. Most of us know him in this church. He was diagnosed with HIV AIDS on the verge of dying. As he said last week, he was told to go back home and die with his family. But he had an encounter with this Jesus. This Jesus who didn't only die at the cross, but it became real to him. That he almost came out of the pages of the Bible and became reality in his life. And when he had an encounter with Jesus, Jesus healed him. And Jesus restored him. And Jack has invited a lot of his family members in this church. Jack is... If you are on WhatsApp or in a WhatsApp group with Jack, unless you tell him to stop, he's going to carry on talking. He's so passionate about God. And you see that this story of Jesus Christ being the center of our lives is not just a fallacy in some book that somebody wrote. This is reality because someone's life has been changed by this Jesus. The other guy is Fanelo. I met Fanelo. He was a student and we met at the library because, you know, we were studying together and, and stuff. I didn't know him, but I, we were just like, it was across the table from me. I, I can't remember the condition, what it was, but he 
tears were flowing from his eyes constantly. So he had like tissues everywhere because he had to wipe his eyes all the time to be able to read. And so because, you know, the library is quiet and it's awkward, you can't really, you know, <laughs> talk to each other. So I timed him. There was a, he received a phone call and I timed him. When he received a phone call, he had to go out. So I followed him. And when I followed him, uh, I stayed at a distance when he was talking. I don't want you to think I want to get his cell phone from him. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know why. I just, I met with a the, with the guy this week. Um, no disrespect. If you're Nigerian here, Josh, God bless you. He <laughs> so he thought I was Nigerian. So he asked me, hey, so. So what drugs do you sell? He was joking. <laughs> He's from this church. I said, hey, no, I don't sell any drugs. I sell the Jesus drugs. But anyway. <laughs> so, sorry. So I, I met uh, Fanelo and he was, when he finished talking on the phone, then I said to him, hey, can I, can I talk to you? He said, yeah, please talk to me. I asked him what the condition was. He mentioned the condition. I can't remember. I just knew that Jesus is real. And I said to him, can I pray with you? He said, yes, please do. We prayed together. That very week, I got a call from him. God had completely healed him from that condition. The reason why I remember this testimony is because about four weeks ago, he sent me a WhatsApp message. He was asking me, because uh, it was in our church back in the, in the south of Joburg. He asked me, so which uh, every nation church are you at? I said, I'm in the West. And he said, hey. I'm going to bring my family and myself. We're going to come. And so they've been coming to church for the past four or so weeks, him and his family, because God changed his life. And so when we talk about this message of Jesus, it goes beyond just us proving this theologically. This is a life-changing Jesus. When you have an encounter with him, your life changes. And so I want to conclude with this. It's the story in John chapter 2, verse 5, sorry, verse 2 to 5. It goes like this. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, don't talk to your mother like that, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, my mom would give you a slap right there and they just don't say woman. <laughs> Said, uh, where's my verse? Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. This was apparently the first public miracle of Jesus at the wedding in Cana. And Jesus was also invited. He was not the only guest at the wedding. He was invited, but the people that invited him didn't know who he was. They just thought Jesus was also invited because, hey, we're having this wedding and we're going to be partying. And these guys knew how to party because they, they did this for days. You know, they did. I mean, you know, this weekend weddings that we do like Friday and Saturday sometime, people say, ah, that's a lot. These guys did it for weeks, you know. <laughs> And so they, they, they really knew how to celebrate. But they had invited Jesus to come, but did not know who Jesus was. 
they encountered a problem at the wedding because the wedding has to continue, but the thing that makes it continue has come to an end. Sounds mostly sometimes like our lives, like you feel like you are called to go further, but you are stuck somewhere because there is nothing that can take you further than where you are. And so they are here in Canaan, but Jesus' mother was also there. And he say, she says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. And that's my message to us this morning. Invite Jesus in your life and do whatever he tells you to do. Because when they obeyed what Jesus said to them, it sounded like it was foolishness. There were water pots that were used for purification. I would assume in our days, purification could equal or be related or could look like if you have gone to any Muslim country, which is underdeveloped, and the bucket that they use for cleansing. All right. If you have gone to a Muslim country, have you ever gone to a Muslim country? So the bucket that, okay, I'm not going to be too descriptive, but if you have gone to a Muslim country, they, Muslims don't believe in using tissue, okay, toilet paper. They believe in water purification. <laughs> so this could have been something to be used for a ritual like that. It was water that would never make sense to a normal person. Like, why would you want to use that water to turn it into wine, Jesus? Jesus says, I want you to fill those pots. Just, just get, them, get them filled. He gave them an instruction. And the Bible says there was a miracle. And the master of the ceremony says, where has this wine been? Usually people would bring the best wine first. And then the one that is not so good afterward. Why did you have to keep this one until this time? But that is the Jesus who changes lives. When you invite him in your life, when you invite him in your marriage, when you invite him in the way you raise your children, when you invite him in the way you do your work, he changes even the things to you that don't make sense. He brings them to life. The things in your life that have been laying dormant, the things in your life that have been neglected and despised and rejected and ostracized, Jesus brings life back into that. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning and we worship you. We worship you because you stripped yourself of the privileges of who you were and decided to come down to earth so that you can be the Lamb of God who will be slaughtered and whose blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat in the very tabernacle of God from which Moses got his pattern so that we can be declared righteous by God. And we worship you this morning and we thank you.